Today's scripture reading will be Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. That it feels like something is missing. But just like in the illustration you just saw, it just means that we need to adjust our perspective sometimes. Or we need to shuffle some things around because what feels like is missing is really always there the whole time. A while back, I was on the phone, and by the way, I've heard just recently, this is no longer the universal sign for on the phone, because kids don't even know what that is. Now it's this. So I was, I was on the phone the other day, and I think I was talking to a, a doctor's office, shocking, I know, but I was making, I needed to make an appointment, and so I said, well, let me get my calendar. Well, of course, my calendar is on my phone, and so I'm looking everywhere in the house for my phone. I'm walking around with a phone up to my head looking for my phone. That's the kind of reality I live in pretty much daily. I can't find my phone anywhere. I'm like, it's got to be here somewhere. Where is that phone? And then it hits me. <laughs> it's, it's right here in my hand the whole time, right there. And that's why I look around to make sure no one was watching or seeing what I was doing. But I think that's how we live life sometimes. We feel like something is absent. Something is missing. Something isn't like it should be. And the truth is, God gives us exactly what we need for life, for godliness. He gives us what we need to live the life he created us to live. But sometimes we need to change our perspective. Sometimes we need to shuffle some priorities or some preconceived ideas so that we can discover what it is we think we're missing. And so with that said, let me ask you a question. Why are you here? Not necessarily why are you in worship today, but why are you on this planet? Why are you around the people you are around? What is your purpose? Do you understand, have you embraced your purpose in life? You see, I I think for many people, including many Christians, We go through life never really embracing or understanding or accepting or living into the reality of our God-given purpose. I think many people, of course, are living life, but too many people are living with something missing, this sense of purpose and direction. A while back, a corporate consultant in Sweden asked 65 people around the world, what do you fear most in life? What is your greatest fear in life? Shockingly, no one said standing on the edge of a 200-foot cliff over a pit of snakes and falling into that pit of snakes. I'm surprised no one said that, but no one said that. But one in five, actually more than one in five people said something like this. My fear is that I will live my life without a sense of purpose and meaning. Maybe you can relate to that. Regrets grow in the soil of missed opportunities, 
and mistaken purposes. And we don't want to get to the end of our lives, whatever that end is, and look back with these regrets. Was there more to life? Is that what my life was really all about? And unfortunately, too many people, including people of God, live their lives and die that way in regret. You know, so many people in this world do what they do every day. And they do what they have to do every day. And they do what they need to do every day. And sometimes they do what they want to do every day. But do they, do you, do what you are meant to do every day? Just over the past few weeks, I've had multiple conversations with people wrestling with questions just like this. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Well, Scripture is the story of God. We learn who God is, at least as much as we can comprehend who God is. We learn what He's all about. But not only is the Scripture the story of God, it is the story of us. And so in Scripture, we get to see who God created us to be. We get to see what our lives are supposed to be about. And if we're missing our purpose, maybe it's right there in front of us. Maybe we just need to change our perspective a little bit or shuffle some preconceived ideas or some priorities. And so our text today is in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at chapter 1 and a little bit in chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, open it to Ephesians chapter 1 over in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters thought to be written to the church in Ephesus or maybe as a circular letter to the churches in the region to be passed around, certainly inspired by God, relevant for us even today. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 11, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been, having been predestined according to the plan. Predestined in the sense not that God said you and you and you and you, but it was in God's foreknowledge to have this plan in Christ to save those who were in Christ. Okay, so let's, let's understand that. According to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of your will. That's how we pray sometimes. No. Conformity with the purpose of his will. His will reigns supreme. He is the one with the plan. He is the one in control. Verse 12, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Remember, he's probably talking to Gentiles. So he says, you were also included in this. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, these four verses are thought to be part of the longest sentence in the Bible, verses 3 through 14. Punctuation in the original language of Scripture is much different. Many times it's not there. Certainly not like we punctuate. And so this is thought to be the longest sentence in the Bible, verses 3 through 14. Basically, Paul doesn't come up for air until he gets to his point, and his point is this. God is doing something in your life. God created you. God is saving you. And God is calling you. 
You see, we don't just learn about God, we learn about who we are, why we are here. Or why are we here? He says it very clearly. We exist for the praise of his, God's glory. We exist for the praise of God's glory. Verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, that phrase comes over and over for the praise of God's glory. Let me be more specific. You exist for the praise of God's glory. That is your purpose. That is why you are here. Well, what does that mean? That sounds very churchy. What does that mean for the praise of his glory? Some other modern translations maybe make it clear. To bring praise and glory to God. That is your purpose, to bring praise and glory to God. Well, wait a second. Does that mean I'm just supposed to sit around all day and sing praise songs to God? Well, for some people, they could probably do less damage if they just did that. But see, we need to get this idea of praise outside of the auditorium, outside of the worship assembly. Praise isn't only what we do when we sing. It's not only what we do when we gather as Christians to worship God. Praise is a lifestyle, living in such a way that brings honor and glory to God. It becomes my primary perspective, the filter through which I view the world. How can I honor God with this decision? How can I bring glory to God in this relationship? How can I praise God with these resources? It sets the tone and the course for everything, living for the praise of God's glory. That's why Paul writes in Colossians 3.23 that in all the work you're doing, work the best you can, work as if you were doing it for whom? For the Lord, not for people. When you do what you do every day, do it as though you're doing it with God as your CEO with Jesus as your employer, with the Father watching over you, not waiting for you to mess up, but waiting to encourage you and fill you up so that you can do things and live in such a way that brings him honor and glory. You see, the people of God live for God. It's that simple. The people of God live for God and work for God and do everything we do for God. Someone has said, kingdom people do kingdom things. David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. It's an invitation. Let us exalt his name together. David sings this praise, this praise that is supposed to embody our lives. Magnify the Lord with me. That becomes your purpose in life. Someone has looked at this idea of magnifying the Lord and used the comparison of a microscope and a telescope to illustrate it. A microscope makes something very, very small much bigger, doesn't it? Whereas a telescope takes something usually far away and brings it into focus so that you can better see it and understand it and experience it. And so when we magnify God, we're not making something that is small bigger than it ought to be. Not at all. The universe can't contain God. But when we magnify him, we're almost using a telescope to bring something so expansive, so marvelous, into focus so that we can experience him, so that we can focus our lives on him and see him in a powerful and a personal way. And so when David writes, oh, magnify the Lord, 
It's not just a song of praise. It is an invitation to live at the center of God's will, drawing other people to magnify and worship and praise God. You see, your purpose is to draw attention to him, to direct praise to him. By magnifying God, we're not making him something he's not. We're bringing other people to his attention. Paul continues the conversation in the next chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, reminding us who we once were and who we are in Christ, which then shapes our identity and our purpose in life. So in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4, he writes, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork his masterpiece, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There is so much good salvation theology there. And what Paul says is, salvation comes by the mercy and grace of God, not generated by your good deeds. You are not saved because you do good works. You are saved to do good works. And sometimes we get those mixed up. And when we get those two directions mixed up, it leads to all kinds of problems with arrogance and using guilt to motivate others and legalism and comparing ourselves to others. And I love what Paul does here in this passage. You need to see this. It's remarkable. He uses what's been called an inclusio. It's it's verbal brackets. It's a good time to talk about brackets, right? He uses verbal brackets, bookends, to illustrate his point, to bring his point home. Remember, much of the time in the first century, this was not read on the page like you were doing, certainly not read on your phone. This was heard audibly. And so writers, inspired by God, would use literary devices and audible devices to help people remember things and to know the main point. And I want you to watch what Paul does here. And I think the English Standard Version does a great job of highlighting this image that Paul uses that more closely represents the literal translation. So back in verse 1 and 2, Paul says, This was your condition. This was your state. You were dead in your transgressions or your trespasses and your sins, in which you once walked. That's the image. You once walked. Following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? That is not Jesus. That is the evil one. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then skip over to verse 5 and 6. But what has God done? Even when we were dead in these transgressions, in these trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up. This is what God did. And seated us with him in the heavenly places or the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And then what happens in verse 10? Here's the bracket. Here's the bookend. For we are his workmanship, 
his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's that image again. So basically what he says is we are walking through life. We are on a path away from God. And when we live this way, when we walk this path, it's the path that follows the course. What does it say? The course of the world. We buy into the values of the world. Related to our purpose, how does our purpose become sometimes shaped by the world's values? Well, my purpose is all about me. What I want. What I think I should do. What is best for me. And so we walk this path away from God, this path that follows the course of the world, and he says more specifically it follows whom? The prince of the power of the air. We are allowing Satan to take us down a path away from God that serves self. But then he says something happens. He says God seated us with Christ. And when we are seated by God, important language here, we don't do it on ourselves. God seats us with Christ what happens? Everything changes. Everything changes. Not just our path, but our purpose. And he raises us up, and what does he say? To walk in these good deeds, these good works that he created us to do. And so we were walking away from God, following the course of the world, the values of the world, the prince of the power of the air, but God has seated us with Christ. And when he has seated us with Christ, it's not just in heaven someday, it is right now, and it changes everything about right now. It changes our priorities, it changes our relationships, it changes our values, it changes our path and our purpose. And then we walk a different walk, a different path. The path that honors not self, the path that doesn't praise me, but honors God and praises him. Specifically, he says, walking in these good works that he created us to do. We are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do these good things. That, that earn us salvation? No, no, he makes that clear. That bring praise and glory and honor to God because of our salvation, because of who he is. You were made good by a good God to do good things. That's the simplest way, I think, to say what he's saying here. On our own, we are not good. We can never be good enough but we were made good by a good, a great, a gracious God. But he doesn't stop there. We were made good by a great God to do good things. What are those good things? Things that bring glory to God. Living in such a way that is to the praise of his glory. Someone says, well, that's, that's fine. That, that makes a lot of sense for people like ministers and missionaries. But what about me? I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer. I'm a chef. I'm a landscaper. I'm a stay-at-home parent. I'm a, and you fill in the blank. You know, how does, how does teaching algebra, how does deciding what kind of tile to put on a backsplash, how does refilling people's prescriptions or their iced tea at the table, how does that bring praise and glory 
to God? That's a fair question. That's a good question. And that's the question that so many people wrestle with. And that's okay. And I think here's where we need to get really practical. And to do that, I think what it takes is time in God's word, in time in prayer. If you are struggling and wrestling with, am I doing what I'm meant to do? Am I missing out on my purpose? I would ask you a question. Are you spending time in prayer? Yes, I'm praying, I'm praying. God, show me, show me, show me. Okay, but are you listening to God? Are you going to God's word? Are you listening to God? So spend time in prayer, but also spend time in conversation with others, people that you trust, people whose life you look at and say, they get it. They are living right at the center of their purpose, their God-given purpose. Talk to them. And maybe this, on this topic, if you haven't used the sermon discussion resources that we've made available the last few weeks, maybe on this one is where you want to start. And maybe tonight, later this week, watch that video, get those questions out, sit down with your family or friends or trusted people or, you know, whomever, and, and talk about this and wrestle with some of these things and, and, and brainstorm together. Robert Bela has written a classic book called Habits of the Heart. And John Ortberg does a good job of taking some of his categories of how we view work and really describing what they mean. And so maybe this will be helpful. He says, basically, there are three approaches to your work. He says, the first one is a job. This is a job. I do this because I get a paycheck. I do this because I need to put food on the table. And and that makes sense. And that's how some of us view our work. He says the second orientation toward work is a career. So this is a little broader than a job, but still, what's the idea? Well, I'm I'm advancing myself. I'm, I'm making more money. I'm going to get a promotion. I'm going to make a name for myself. And see, the idea around both of those is this job or this career is all about me, what it provides for me. And I I understand sometimes we just need a job because we need to put food on the table. But even in that situation, I would ask you, how do you view that job? How do you see that job, that work? And, and by the way, this applies more than just, you know, a job or work. Whatever you do during the day, may, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, maybe you manage the household, maybe you're retired. Whatever it is you do every day, how do you view, what is your approach to what you do every day? Someone has said this, and I, I think it's right on the money. It says, our purpose has very little to do with what we gain and everything to do with what we give. You see, when I view what I do every day, whatever that is, as a job, it's all about what it provides for me. Now, sometimes when that perspective on job and what it provides for me fuels or funds a passion that honors God, then then that's understandable. But still, even in that situation, how do you view that job? Is it only what it provides me, or is this an opportunity And so when we look at our career, is it just about what it does for me? Making me more money, making a greater name for myself, advancing, climbing the ladder. I think it's true. Our purpose has very little to do with what we gain and everything to do with what we give. 
you want to get to your end, the end of your life and not have major regrets, then stop focusing on what you get or gain and start focusing on what you can give. Which brings us to the third orientation or the third approach to your work, and that is a calling. Imagine how your life, your daily life might be different if you viewed what you did every day, whatever that is, as a calling. You see, when there is a calling, there must be what? A caller. And what if God is calling you, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, to do what you're doing in such a way that brings praise and glory and honor to him, that magnifies him to the people around you, that makes the world a better place, that brings blessing upon others. It would change everything, wouldn't it? And so a calling means we have a caller. And that's why, remember Colossians 3.23, work as though you're working for the Lord, not for people. He's the caller. Any good work can be a calling. Yes, ministers and missionaries. And physicians and foster parents, those are callings. But so are garbage collectors and game developers. So are retail workers and restaurant servers. So are artists and accountants. So are salespeople and stay-at-home parents. Anything can be a calling. And so if you're struggling with what you do every day, If you're struggling to get your mind around, am I fulfilling my purpose? Maybe you need to change how you view what you do. Ortberg also tells the story about a man named William who was an up-and-coming reporter. He was young. He worked for a newspaper, the Buffalo News. And the editor gave him the assignment of writing obituaries. And he said to his editor, I want something more. I want something greater. This is, this is not the career path that I, that I think I should be on. And he continued to write these obituaries. He wanted something that would feature his name, maybe on the front page, something that would give him credit and fame. And again, he went to his editor and said, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. There's got to be more. Can you give me a bigger story? His editor sat him down and said, listen, Nothing you write will be read more carefully than those obituaries. If you mess up on someone's name, you will hear about it. But if you honor someone, your words will be laminated. (laughs) And it changed everything for him. He began to take his job seriously in in a different light. He began to view it differently. He began to follow up with phone calls to the family to get more information, to spend more time writing these obituaries so that he could truly honor those who had passed away. And so maybe as you view what you do every day, you need to change the way you look at it, which will, of course, change your approach to it. But let's be honest, maybe you do need to change what you're doing. Maybe you need to change what you're doing. And I know that's not always easy. As ambassadors of Christ, we are called to represent Christ. And so, how do I know I'm doing what I should be doing, what I can be doing to represent Christ, to live for the praise of his glory? Don't you wish there was like a spiritual career assessment one of those tests, you know, you've, you've taken those exams, those tests before, 
you fill out all the questions and then it's supposed to tell you what you should do as far as a career. Those are always interesting. It seems like they're always very specific or very general, right? You need to be a flight attendant on eastbound flights in the evening on this certain airline. <laughs> well, I don't even like to fly. Or it's very general, as you know, from, from your aptitude and your skill set, we think you should have a job working with people, okay? Wouldn't it be nice if God just gave us like, like the Ten Commandments on stone tablets? Just fill out this assessment. It'd be online now. Fill out this assessment, and once you fill it out, I will tell you exactly what you're supposed to do. Wouldn't that be nice? But God doesn't do that. He gives us a freedom, and I think what he says is wherever you are, do it in such a way as you're working for the Lord, not for people, not for yourself, certainly. Do it in such a way so that it brings praise and glory to God. And I often say, we need Christian accountants. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian plumbers and electricians. We need Christian teachers. We need faithful disciples of Christ in virtually all arenas of life so we can impact all people. There's not a recipe, there's not a formula for discovering how best to accomplish what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. But let me just give you a few questions that, again, maybe you want to wrestle with personally or maybe you want to talk about if you're married with your spouse or your kids or kids with your parents or friends, whoever it is. And, and there could be many questions to ask, but let me just share four questions as we begin to wrap up. The first question is this, what brings you pain? What I mean is, what hurts your heart? What injustice do you see in this world or in your world? Who do you see in pain? And what can you do to alleviate that pain? Is there an opportunity you have to, to step into the, to the pain, to the injustice, and do something about it? Second question would be, what is God doing around you? Sometimes that's the, 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 the simplest way to live at the center of God's will is to open your eyes and say, well, what is God doing? Where do I see God's fingerprints? Where do I see God working around me? Maybe I can just join him in that. Third question would be, what resources do you have? What gifts do you have? What has God given you? And how can those things be used for the praise of his glory? And you know what? You may have to try a few things, and they may not go well. That's okay. Now, let me also say, all of these questions, the answers to these questions, may not lead to a job or career. They may be a ministry or volunteering or something with your family that you do. Finally, who needs you right now? And how can you serve them? And maybe it, maybe it is your children. Maybe that's who needs you most. So how can you serve them? Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's a group of people. How can you serve them? Again, maybe the answer to these questions doesn't lead to a job or a job change, but maybe a new perspective on what you do, or maybe a new way to spend other time in your life. In Acts 13, we see Paul is in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, and he's, he's teaching, and he's basically giving a history lesson, a, a Bible lesson to the people. And he's showing them how God has worked throughout history leading up to Jesus. 
and that Jesus is different than anyone who has come before, and he is different than anyone who will come after. And in his history lesson, in his Bible lesson, Paul says this statement about King David in the Old Testament. It's almost a throwaway statement. It's basically a statement used to contrast with Jesus, who again, remember, he's pointing to Jesus. But in Acts 13, 36, this is what Paul says about David. He says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried among his ancestors. And his body decayed, unlike Jesus, by the way. But look at that phrase. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation. You may want a lot of different things said at your funeral, but could there be anything better than just that simple phrase? He served God's purpose in his own generation. She served God's purpose in her own generation and then fell asleep. I don't think there could be anything better said. That is a life without regrets. And so as you think about your life, as you think about that question we began with, why are you here? Maybe you know the answer, and you feel like I am right where I need to be, doing right what I need to do. If that's the case, I applaud you, I commend you, but don't stop there. Continue to search and seek to please God, to live for the praise of his glory. Maybe you are not there. You would love to be there. Maybe you are somewhere else. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm bringing any glory or praise to God in what I'm doing. Let me encourage you to spend time listening to God. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. And be faithful where you are. And through that process, as you are faithful where you are, maybe God will take you somewhere else. Maybe he won't. But through it all, every step of the way, walk, walk, walk in the good deeds, the good works that he created you to do. Don't walk according to the plan of the world. Don't walk following the prince of the power of the air. Don't let the path that you take and the purpose you live out be all about you, but walk in his good deeds, bringing praise and glory to him, magnifying God. Again, let me mention the sermon discussion resources. That email will come out later today. It's also on our YouTube channel, a short video, a discussion guide, a great opportunity to go deeper into God's word and begin to apply our messages from Sunday. Maybe tonight you want to do that, maybe later this week. I would just encourage you to do that. If we can encourage you in some way, we want to do that as well. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've reached the point where you know this is real. And I want to live my life not according to the world, certainly not guided by Satan. I want to live my life to honor him. It begins with confessing your faith in Jesus and taking him on in baptism. Do that today. Or if we can encourage you and pray for you, we would be happy to do that. If you're at home, wherever you are watching online, go to our website, edmundchurchofchrist.com. Reach out to us on the prayer page. If you're here today, you can come forward as we stand together and sing. Let's stand.